Well, good morning, everybody. <clears throat> we have two sheets that are going out. This is uh, the beginning of your woes. We are at a point in the uh, book of Acts, as we had promised, that once we got to um, where historically the epistles were written, we would stop in our um, study of the book of Acts and we would go out to the epistle. This is what is often called a chronological approach to the study of the scriptures. And so we want, we want you to see the historic context in which the epistles were written. And I think in doing so, they will really come alive in a way that they may not come alive to you uh, if you were just reading them on your own. So we want to see the books in light of the context of history and I think you'll see how wonderful um, they are in that light. Rick has several times over the last number of weeks said this, I love this book. Do you love this book? We just sang a song, it says, Precious, Holy Bible, Treasure Rich and Rare. Word of God eternal. You know, without this book and without the preaching of this book, we would be lost. We would not know salvation. We would not know the Lord Jesus Christ. Balm for every care. We don't use the word balm very often uh, today, but medicine. We use that word. You pop a pill. Well, the Bible isn't just popping a pill. It's the cure. (laughs) It's the cure for every care. God's full revelation. How do we know about God? How do we know what God is like? We know it through the Word of God. And um, we know about our sin and of Christ's redemption and salvation's plan. The Bible is a wonderful book. Through the study of the Word of God, we, we become wise. It says that we can become wiser than our teachers. Wow. Some of you have gone a long way in school, a lot further than I have, and you've had some mighty uh, professors, very intelligent people, and yet a simple believer on their knees trusting this book and the Word of, the word of God is wiser than the smartest person on earth today. Okay, A person can be tremendously intelligent, and yet be a dud spiritually, be a fool spiritually. You can say that I do not believe in God. The Bible says the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. But a a believer, just taking God at his word, is wiser than his teachers. It's a wonderful book. It's a wonderful book. Well, we want to turn to uh, the book of Acts again. And uh, we're going to just pick up a historical note here. And then we're going to take a look at the uh, sheets that we handed out, and we want to give you some uh, help with your Bible study. One of the things that um, I think is important in the study of God's Word is for you to be schooled in how to look at God's Word, how to study God's Word, how to dig into it in such a way that you can, can figure out what not only what it says, but what it means, and then how to apply that word to your own life. Now, if you can do that, 
we've accomplished our purpose. Okay? The purpose of a teacher is to train up others to teach also. And if you're then able to take the Word of God and you've learned from it and you're able to handle it and then you're able to teach others also, then we've gone to the next generation. And if they're able to do it, well, then you've got grandkids spiritually. And you can actually multiply faster spiritually than you can physically. We were talking about generations at the table this past week, and we were talking about, you know, what, what would be the, the earliest a person could be a grandmother, you know? I don't know how we got onto the subject, but we did. But spiritually speaking, it, it could be pretty quick. Physically speaking, it's a little longer. So we've got more chance of having great, 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 great grandchildren spiritually than we do of uh, seeing that physically in our lifetime. All right, we're, we uh, got all the way up to Acts chapter 11, verse 19. And this is really a, uh, just to, to, for those who weren't here the last couple of weeks, we have come to a point uh, in the book of Acts where the gospel has gone out not only to the Jews, but it's gone out to uh, Jerusalem, to Samaria, uh, to Judea, to Samaria, and now is about to go out to the uttermost parts of the earth. It doesn't start to the uttermost parts of the earth. It started with a simple call of God. Peter was called upon God, uh, by God, I should say, to go and to preach the gospel to one Gentile. Now, there were others there who heard it and were saved also. But the gospel went forward to Cornelius, a man who was already sensitive to spiritual things. And he had been praying to the Lord. And the Lord chose to, to, uh, to use him, if it were, as it were, to... Um, be the first Gentile to be saved. And really, it's not the first person ever who was saved as a Gentile, but really it's the first point in time when the gospel went out purposely to the Gentiles, and it was a huge transition for Peter, a huge shock to his system that the gospel would actually go out to the Gentiles and that they could believe they would receive the Holy Spirit as well. They would be part with the Jews in the church. And that the dividing wall between the Jews and the Gentiles would be broken down and we would be one, one body. Wow. I mean, that was unheard of. It was, it was shocking to his system, no doubt. And so when it happened, <laughs> he went back to Jerusalem. He told the apostles in Jerusalem what had happened. And, and I'm sure they were kind of sitting on pins and needles and, and almost hesitant to hear it. But when they heard what happened, that the Holy Spirit of God had also come upon them and that they were part of the... Um, church they rejoiced in it now we have at this moment in the book of acts a transition we it's just kind of finishing up some little details of history that god wants us to know before the gospel is kicked into high gear and it goes out into the whole world so we haven't yet reached the what we what we call the missionary movement of the church although everywhere the gospel is preached it's there it's part of the missionary movement they've already gone to jerusalem that was the easy part they were already there they've gone to judea that was a little harder it's, it's, a, it's a larger territory samaria well i mean you know those are half breeds and you know that was a little harder for them to do that but the gentiles i mean that just it's almost unthinkable but god wanted it god wanted to save you god wanted to save me Praise the Lord that we're included in the church. So, Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Now, those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen 
traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. Okay, we're going to stop there. Wait a minute. Didn't we just read in chapter 10 that the gospel was for the Gentiles as well? Yes, it was. But this historically is actually going back a step. Okay, and you have to understand that's what's happening here. It's not, it's not a continuation of thought. The Lord simply told us about the Gentiles and what had taken place there. Then he steps back a step and says, now, look, this is what had been happening. This is what was happening. When was the martyrdom of Stephen? I don't mean the date. Historically. Historically. Was it before or after Cornelius? How, how much? Just guess. A couple of weeks? A couple of months? Yeah, years. Okay. So here's one of the things that we tend to do in our thinking, and we have to be careful about this. When we read through a book like Acts, we read through it, perhaps we might read through um, a chapter a day. And so in 10 days, we've read 10 chapters. And we say, wow, a lot of things happen real fast. Well, they did, but they didn't happen in 10 days. Okay? It didn't happen at the same pace that you read it. There's years that, that took place in here. And in this particular case, there's probably about a three-year period, four-year period, five-year. You know, there's, there's a period of time. I didn't look it up, so I can't tell you exactly, but it's years. All right? Now, the martyrdom of Stephen was very early in the church. He had been chosen as um, one of the deacons. That was an early part of the church. That was shortly after the thousands had come to know the Lord. They had a problem with the Hellenist Jews, and they were trying to satisfy the distribution of the the goods to all. They they selected um, deacons, and shortly after that, Stephen was martyred. At that time, persecution broke out against the Christians, okay? He was the first. He was the point man, if you will, and the first one to be martyred for the Christian faith, but there were many that followed him. The scripture is silent about much of that. But the fact is that we we get little hints of it because we read about the life of Saul. And it says that Saul was breathing out threats and murder and he was trying to get letters together from the high priest so that he could go out and arrest uh, Christians. And it talks about the fact that he did that, that he went into homes and took men and women and children who are believers and the persecution was really being ramped up, particularly in Jerusalem. But Paul or Saul wasn't satisfied with that. He actually went as far as he could. He, he was a man with a mission. And he was a man who wanted to stop the church. And he was not alone. There were many others like him. But, but God focuses our attention on him. Why? Because he's a key player in the book of Acts. He's a key player in the early church. But there were many who were against the church. And persecution broke out. And as a result of the persecution that started at the time of Stephen, uh, many people, many of the Jews who were now Christians scattered. Okay, what, was, what, what happened here? We read, we read that term here. Look at that. They were scattered after the persecution that arose after Stephen. They traveled to Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. Yeah, well, okay, they traveled somewhere else. Wow. Do you realize what happened here? Sometimes we need to stop and think about what, we're, what we've just read. Now, I just want to ask you a question. Suppose one in our midst here was persecuted to the point of death. They were killed because of their faith. And you knew, we met together, this happened, you know, tomorrow, Monday. 
And Tuesday we meet together for a prayer meeting and say, you know what, look what happened to so-and-so. They died because of their faith. And you know what, I'm hearing rumblings in the neighborhood here that people are against us and that they're, they're, they're bent on our blood and they want to see us stop and they want to see the church crumble and they want to see it end and they want to see all of us dead. Put a little fear in your heart. Okay. Put a little fear in their heart, I'm sure of it. They knew the Lord. They trusted the Lord, but one of their members had died, and many more were to follow. And the early church is marked by the flow of blood that came from martyrs. Okay? We don't see a lot of that, and certainly not in America, but it is happening in the world today, and uh, particularly in countries where the gospel is illegal, or where it is illegal to preach the gospel. It happens. And so the Christians had to think about it. And they had to start to say, you know what? I've got to do something about this. And you can just imagine in the homes what they were thinking about. What, what am I going to do? Honey, we've got seven kids. Maybe they had 12 kids back then. I don't know. Maybe they had 14. We've got to do something about this. We can't stay here. Our kids' lives are in jeopardy. My life is in jeopardy. Your life is in jeopardy. I know we all love the saints, but we're talking about our lives here. And some stayed, and some faced martyrdom, and some said, no, we're going to go. We're not going to stay here, and we're not going to stay put. We're going to go, and they left. And so the persecution that came was allowed by God, and what it did is it, it pushed the Christians out of their comfort zone. In It wasn't really that comfortable, but they pushed them out of their, their space and out into parts of the world that they had not known. Now, you have to weigh the, weigh the choices here. Both are difficult. To stay might mean death. To leave means a huge upheaval in one's life, especially if you have a family. It's a huge upheaval. And so now they're taking, they're going to walk away from their employment. Think about this, brothers. They're going to walk about, away from their employment. They are probably going to walk away from any possessions that they own they probably, many of them were probably very wealthy. Some were probably poor. And they just up and left. Just left. And so they're leaving it all behind. Wow. Which would you do? Would you stay or would you go? And neither one is the right answer. Maybe both of them are the right answer. Okay? But you have to make that individual choice as a believer. What are you going to do? And some of them left, and some of them went to Phoenicia and to uh, Cyprus um, and to Antioch. Now, if you have a Bible in the back, I mean, if you have a Bible, yeah, if you have a, <laughs> a map in the, I hope you have a Bible. If you have a map in the back of your Bible, I want you to take a look at maybe a, a map that looks something like this. It's pr like the uh, Mediterranean area, the early church movement and so on. And I just want you to locate, if you can, where Jerusalem is. And it's it, on my map, just so you, I, I don't know if you can all see this or not, it's kind of down here, bottom end of the Mediterranean area here, okay? Now, they went to Cyprus. Where is Cyprus? It's an island, thank you. Okay, it's an island in the Mediterranean right below um, Asia, basically, all right? Um... The other place they went to was Phoenicia. How many of you have Phoenicia on your maps? 
Wow, you got a good map. Good. Anybody know where Phoenicia is today? In today's terms. I'm sorry? Lebanon. Yeah, Lebanon would be Phoenicia. So it's the coastal area right to the north, northern, uh, northern part uh, above Israel, but it's on the coast. It's Lebanon. How many of you have ever, ever heard of Lebanon? Okay. So Phoenician, Lebanon, that's it. That's where we're talking about. And then we're talking also about a little uh, town called Antioch. Now, there are, several, there are two, at least two Antiochs in the Scripture. The one that we're talking about is the Antioch at the very northwest, northeast, I'm sorry, well, north, yeah, northeast uh, part of the um, Mediterranean Sea. There's a little town there called Antioch. It's <clears throat> right above modern-day Syria, and um, that's where they went. Now, there's three places. Some of them didn't go too far from Jerusalem. Some of them went into seclusion, probably in Cyprus, because it would be a little harder to get to people there. And then some went up to this place called Antioch. It's interesting that Antioch becomes the hub for the the Christian missionary movement. And it is from there that we ultimately um, have heard the gospel. All right. So let's go on in, in our reading here. It says, but they preach, to, they preach the word to no one but the Jews only. Okay, this is an important clue for what we're going to get at a little bit later today. It says that they went and they preached to Jews only. So historically, this fits just slightly before um, Paul, I mean Peter's revelation that the, that the uh, gospel would go out to the Gentiles. Okay, so as they went out preaching... You know, in their their minds, they were thinking this. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. They interpreted that to mean, go out into all the world and preach the gospel to the Jews. You'll be witnesses unto me, both in Judea, in Jerusalem, to the Jews, Judea, to the Jews, Samaria, to the Jews, and the uttermost parts of the world, wherever the Jews have gone. That's what they thought it meant. That's not what it meant, but that's what they thought. And so they had to learn as well. And so it says they went out preaching to the Jews only. Well, that's fine. They were preaching to the Jews. Some were getting saved. But some of them were men from Cyprus, that's that little island again, and Cyrene. Where is Cyrene? Or Cyrene, if some say, but Cyrene is the way I say it. Anybody know? North Africa. Okay, the northern part of Africa up, up uh, on the ridge there. And it says, who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. Um, the Hellenists here, we've come a second time to this group. The Hellenists were um, Greek-speaking Jews, and they were, of the Jewish people that existed at that time, they were probably the most secular of, of them all. They had embraced not only the language, but much of the culture of the day and so that's who they were and and it says that they went to to antioch uh spoke to the hellenists who were there in antioch and preached the lord jesus and the hand of the lord was with them and a great number believed and turned to the lord then news of these things came to the ears of the church in jerusalem and they sent out barnabas to go as far as antioch when he came and had seen the grace of god he was glad and encouraged them all with the purpose of heart or with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. 
For he, that is Barnabas, was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. And in those days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them named Agabus. And by the way, Agabus is somebody that we see later in Scripture who has another prophecy to Paul directly. But in this case, it was a larger prophecy. He stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. All right, so this part of the of, of Acts starts really with a trial. It, it goes back in history a little bit and looks at the trial or the difficulty that the early church faced as the persecution mounted and as, as many of them spread out to various areas. It was a trial of significant magnitude. Now, others, as we mentioned, they moved to different places. Some came to Antioch. This became the hub of world evangelism. Um, it says here in this passage that a great number believed the gospel and turned to the Lord. When that happened, the news of this spread back right down to Jerusalem again, and the apostles in Jerusalem going, wait a minute, what's going on up in Antioch? People are getting saved. The Hellenists up there are getting saved, and there probably were Gentiles mixed in with them at the time, and they said, you know what? We need to send somebody out and find out what's going on. Is this really true? Is it really happening? And so they sent Barnabas. Barnabas, what a great guy he is. I love this guy. Um, first we see of him, we see him as being one that is pointed out. He's, it's not, he's not the only one who did this, but he was so in love with Jesus that he said, you know what, I don't care what I have. It's all his. And he took his land, his home, his possessions, and he sold them, and he says, here, early church, you use it any way you, you see fit. Because I'm on a mission here. I want to serve the Lord no matter what the cost. If it costs me everything, so what? It costs Stephen his life. This is nothing. This is cash. You know, big deal. And so he gave it to the church. And he was point, it's pointed out about him in the scripture that that's what he did. Now, there was no fanfare about this. There's no big pat on his back or anything else like that. It's just that, that God stops for a minute and says, this is the kind of man he is. This is who he is. And then we see him... Uh, helping Paul or Saul early on. We see him again where the church says, you know what, Barnabas, you're the right man for the job. You go up to Antioch and you go figure out what's going on up there. And if they need help, you help them. If they need encouragement, well, that's what you are, a son of encouragement. You go help them. And so that's what he does. He goes up there and he helps the early church. And as he's up there, God gives him fruit. And he sees many people come to know the Lord as well. And he encourages the brethren and says, listen, you know what? We're in the midst of persecution. We're in the midst of, of trial and everything else. Just stay steady. Rock steady with the Lord. Carry on in your faith with him. That's really what he's talking about. While he's up there, as we mentioned already, um, I think that as he began, to, as he preached the gospel, and that's where he seemed to shine more in evangelism, and he began to, to see that the believers needed to grow, I think he thought to himself, you know what? I don't want all the blessing myself because I think that's the kind of guy he was. I think somebody else needs to come in here and share the blessing with me. And it's good to see two men working together side by side like this. And so he says, you know what, I'm going to go get Saul, Paul. 
I'm going to go get them and bring them here, and we're going to work side by side. We're going to work together in this ministry. And so where was Saul at this time? Saul was sent back to Tarsus. Remember, the believers weren't quite sure about this Saul who had been breathing out threats and murders. He was now converted. He was now saved. And uh, <clears throat> he, he went uh, back up to Tarsus because of the threat of the Jews. And so he left. He went back to his hometown. If you're looking at a map, and here's Antioch. Okay, here's Antioch right here. Here's the Mediterranean. Tarsus, if you look at your map, is up and over here. Okay? It's about 125 miles if you walk it. It's about 80 to 100 miles if you take a boat across to it. And I'm not sure which way he traveled, but in either case, it was a long way. Okay? And, and there was no uh, moped or anything else that he used. He walked or he sailed, one or the other. So he went back and he got Paul, brought him back to the church, and for a whole year he taught the ch- in the church with Paul and saw the saints growing. And at that time, this Agabus stood up and said, you know what? God has revealed to me that there is going to be a famine and it's going to affect the whole world. And during this time, you've already got believers in Jerusalem. And I want you to, again, imagine, if you can, the kind of condition they were in in Jerusalem. The Jews hated the believers. They wanted them dead. Most of them were employed by Jewish employers, of course. And so if you were a Christian and you were taking a stand for Christ, your job was in jeopardy. And so many of the the Christians were becoming very, very poor. And it was particularly true in Jerusalem. There was poverty there among the Jewish Christians. And so they said, okay, if there's going to be a famine everywhere, the place that needs the most help is going to be back in Jerusalem. Now, here is the sending assembly, if you will, from Jerusalem, sending out missionaries to Antioch. And they're saying, you know what? We need to help them. They have given of their resources. They have given of themselves. We need to step in where we can and help them again. Okay? And it's important for us as believers that we don't become so focused on ourselves and our little world and our little ministry and our little group here that we forget the bigger picture that there are Christians throughout the world who are suffering. There are believers who are in need of help. And we need to address that. If we're all part of the same body, we need to look and see how we can help. Not just reach out with the gospel, which is important, but how we might help other brothers and sisters who are in need. And there they were in Antioch. It was the first place they were called Christians. So now you have a little history lesson of what happened there. Well, there are a lot of lessons we can learn from this. which we're going to pass over because we are now at a point in history, I believe, where the transition is about to take place and the gospel is about to go out to uh, to the Gentiles in a concerted effort, but there are already believers who are Jewish believers who are scattered throughout the world and they have left and many of them probably were brand new believers without very much teaching at all and they needed some help they needed some some assistance some encouragement some teaching and so there was a man in jerusalem and his name was james now there are actually four men by that name in um in the new testament the two most prominent are um james the brother of john remember the guys who were called the sons of thunder okay so james and john 
they were apostles. James, we know from chapter 12 of Acts, was martyred. He was killed. In fact, if you want to just turn there for a moment, it says, Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And so John was martyred. He was one of the um, early martyrs of the church. But there was another man named John who was quite prominent in... I'm sorry? I'm sorry, James. Yes. Thank you. There was another man named uh, James who was quite prominent in the early church. A man who, prior to the Lord's death, did not even believe in the Lord. He was a man who... um, actually thought the Lord was crazy. Did you know that? It was his brother. It was the brother of the Lord Jesus. And it says in the Scripture, it gives little hints here and there. That It says, we use the term crazy. It says in the Scripture that they thought he was beside himself. Well, it's the same thing, you know. They thought that he had gone off his rocker. He didn't understand, um, you know, why he would do the things that he was doing. That was the attitude that James had of his brother Jesus. There's an interesting little hint of what took place in James' life. There's not much given about him, but there's a little hint that we read in um, 1 Corinthians 15. And in that passage, it talks about how the Lord appeared to his disciples, how he appeared before 500 people. But it has one little phrase that says that he appeared to James also. And there it is the, the brother of the Lord that he is talking about. I believe it was at that point that James finally understood who Jesus was and repented of his sin and trusted the Lord, him as Lord and Savior. I believe that's when it took place. I can't prove it, but it's just an interesting little hint towards that end um, as, we, as we read the Scripture. James, as time went on, and this is just shortly after the Lord's death, just a few years, he came to quite a place of prominence. And there seems to be a transition in, in the church in Jerusalem at about this time. It seems that Peter was being pushed more out of Jerusalem and out towards reaching to out of his comfort zone. And remember last week or last two weeks, we looked at the fact that he went over to the coast and he went to Cornelius and, and so on. And it says that he, uh, I mean, he was used outside of Jerusalem. So who was minding the ship back at home? <laughs> it was James. And James became quite prominent in the early church. In the place. Now, He wasn't alone, as we see in the Scripture, that there are elders as part of the local body of believers and so on. But it's interesting to see historically that he became quite prominent. In fact, as you read historical accounts of James, we read that one of the things that marked him was that he was a man of prayer. It says, the historians say, that his knees were calloused from spending so much time on prayer, on his knees in prayer. I think he was called camel knees, if, if, that's, if my uh, memory serves me correctly. Spending so much time praying for the saints and praying for the Jews who were still in uh, Jerusalem. He was a man of great faith and a man that God used to write the epistle of James, the letter of James. And so we want to turn over to the epistle of James because that's where we're going to begin our first study of one of the New Testament um, epistles. 
Lord willing, next week we're going to do a, an overview of the book of James. But today I want to give you some hints to help you in your Bible study. How to study the Bible. How do you study this book? It's a big book. And so we want to look at some keys to uh, helping you to do that. The first thing I would say, in your outline that you have there, you might want to jot some of these things down. Right before the list of what to do this week, <laughs> let me just give you a couple of little uh, tidbits here. When you come to the Word of God, it's not like any other textbook. It's a living book. And it can only be understood and it can only be discerned if the Holy Spirit of God gives you discernment and understanding. Okay? You can read the pages and they're black ink on a white page. Okay? Many people who are unsaved read this book and that's all they get out of it. It's just a history, a history lessons or whatever. But this book is living. It's powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It is meant to really not only convict us of sin, it is meant to encourage us, to comfort us, to help us, to make us grow, to become more and more like Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful book. Okay? And if we come to it, we need to come to it humbly. Okay? It's, it's a book that God has written for you. He wrote this so that you could know Him and appreciate Him and love Him and grow. So as we come to it, I'm just going to ask you to do this. Before you start, just say, Lord, I need your wisdom. And I cannot understand this book without your help. So you pray and just ask the Lord that he would open your eyes to understand and apply his word. I would say the best approach to Bible study is in short chunks. Okay? Short pieces. How many of you have... 15 minutes a day that you could spare. Good. All right. So you're not so overwhelmed that you can't spend 15 minutes of study. So that's all I'm going to ask you to do. Spend 15 minutes a day in the Word of God in studying the Word of God. Okay? Some of you are slower readers and you may have to take a little more time. Some of you are faster. Um, but here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Just start that way. 15-minute chunks a day would probably be a good place to start. I'm going to warn you about something in James, and that is that it is not an easy book to outline. Okay? How many of you have read the book of Proverbs? Okay? How many of you could easily outline the book of Proverbs? Yeah, not a soul. All right? It's a very difficult book. Why? Because the subject matter changes so quickly. You're going, what? <laughs> How does that fit with the preceding verse? Well, they're not, it doesn't. They're, they're just little vignettes, little... Um, uh, keys or pearls of wisdom, if you will. And there's some that are longer chunks, but most of it is just verse by verse, just individual thoughts one at a time. Well, James is very similar to that. There are little longer sections, but he changes subject rapidly in this book. It is, and that's why it has often been nicknamed the Proverbs of the New Testament. The book of James is the Proverbs of the New Testament. So don't get discouraged with the outlining part of this particular book. It will be difficult for you to reduce each chapter into one thought okay it's not going to happen the um you'll find that every chapter in the book of james has at the bare minimum two thoughts and most of them have more um okay so i've given you a list of things to do to help you out uh, this week 
read the whole book of James on Sunday. That'll be sometime this afternoon. Take 15 minutes and just read through the... It's a short book, five chapters. It shouldn't take you that long, okay? And then tomorrow, Monday, take chapter one and see if you can start to break down the chapter into thoughts. Okay, here's a chunk here that is one thought. Here's the next chunk, which is one thought. Here's the next chunk that is one thought. Please don't do this, okay? If you have a Bible like mine, it's got headings, okay? And I am so disappointed with this Bible that I have, not by the Word of God, please understand that, but the headings are not inspired. This is somebody's idea of where there might be a break. Sometimes they're good, and in this particular case, they're just simply awful, okay? Um, so don't rely on that because if you do, it'll often lead you astray. In this particular case here, I'm just going to give you a clue in the book of James. He starts off in one of, in, um, in verse two, he says, my brethren count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Uh, how many have the King James? What does it say? Testing of your faith. When you fall into various trials. Read, read that verse for me, verse 2. Anybody who has King James? Do you have, do you have it? Various trials. Okay. Um, later on, he talks about temptation. In verse 12, blessed is the man who endures temptation. And then he says, in verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm tempted of God. And you have to ask yourself, is that temptation in verse 12 the same as the temptation in verse 13? You have to check that out and see, okay? Just because similar words are used, sometimes you have to be very, very careful. Sometimes it doesn't mean the same thing. So we'll talk more about that when we get there. Okay, so if you could work on that this week, just take 15 minutes. Um, now, there is there a simple way to study the Bible? We're going to look at a, a, a method of study. There's no um, method that is the only way to study the Bible. But what, the method that we're going to use is one that involves three things. It, is, it involves observation, it involves interpretation, and it involves application. Okay, So there are three things that we're looking for. Observation. We're going to talk about each one. What is observation? Well, it's your chance to become a CSI, okay, a crime scene investigator. It's your chance to become a forensic scientist of the Bible. And as you begin to dig in, you're looking for, um, well, you're, you're just being a good detective is what you're being. You're saying, okay, what does this say? Uh, and, you, and you have to ask lots and lots of questions like a good detective would and make sure that the answers that you come up with are the right answers, okay? So as a good detective, he comes to a crime scene and he looks at the crime and he goes, okay, I have to see not only what is here, but I have to also see what's missing because sometimes there's something that should be here, I think, and it's missing. Why is it missing? And so that's part of being a good detective in Bible study. There are things sometimes that are there and some things that aren't there, and you have to be very careful in your study. Now, if you can remember six key questions, they will help you in your study of the Bible for the rest of your life. And they're so simple, okay? Here they are. 
who? Question mark. What? Question mark. When? Question mark. Where? Why? And how? So, example. Who? Who are the main characters? Who is he talking about it? Who is talking? Okay? And so on. What? What is the main idea of this section? Okay? What is he talking about? When? When does this event take place? Where does it take place? Why is it taking place? Or why do the characters say what they say? Or those kinds of questions. And then how? How does this fit both what it says before and after? How does it fit in the immediate context and how does it fit in the Bible as a whole? Okay? Everybody following me so far? Okay. All right, let's talk about interpretation. Interpretation, it comes on the heels of observation. And so we ask several questions here too. Who is speaking? And this is important to know this. Sometimes it is God who is speaking. We say, well, isn't all the Bible God's word? Yes, it is. We believe that every word right down to the jot and tittle to the crossing of the T and the dotting of the I is inspired of God. But God didn't say everything in this book. Okay? And you have to know that. So you have to ask yourself, who is speaking? Is it God? Or in one case, is it Satan? You know, Satan speaks. Now, the Bible faithfully records what Satan says, but are you going to rely on what Satan says? I hope not. Okay? There's a whole book devoted to man's philosophy in here. You know what book that is? Ecclesiastes. Are you going to form your life pattern and your life habit after the book of Ecclesiastes? I hope not. Okay? Everything is vanity. I mean, that's, that's the end of his conclusion. Now, God faithfully records all that Solomon put here, but, it, but he didn't record it so that we might go out and live what he said. He goes out to show the futility of life without God. That's the purpose of it. All right? So you have to ask yourself the question, who is speaking? Is it God or is it someone else? Okay? Um, <clears throat> second, on whose authority is the speaker speaking? Okay? So let me give you an example. Paul. In fact, I had a conversation with some people this week about Paul's writings. And uh, their answer or attitude toward me was, well, that's basically what your church believes. I go, what? Are we part of a different body? Do you not believe what the Apostle Paul wrote in the Scripture? Well, that's your interpretation of it. Excuse me? It's what it says. Okay? Now, you have to be very careful. Paul said of his writing that it was the commandments of the Lord. At certain points, he said, this is a commandment of the Lord. And you say, that's pretty strong. He is saying it on the authority of God himself. Wow. Okay? So we need to be very careful about saying, well, I don't happen to believe that. I don't happen to believe this. I'm going to pick and choose what I'm going to believe and what I'm not going to believe. We don't have that prerogative. The prophets also wrote or spoke this way. Thus saith the Lord. 
you knew full well where they were getting their information from or their, their uh, communication from. Now, when Satan quotes the scripture, he is not quoting on the authority of God, is he? Okay? And so you have to ask yourself, on whose authority is the speaker speaking? Look at it in the context. Third, to whom does this verse or section apply? Or to whom is it speaking? Now, the Bible is very clear about this, that all Scripture, all Scripture is given for our instruction, okay? But not all Scripture was written to us. You say, well, are you just, are you watering down the Word of God, Don? Are you just kind of throwing out whatever you want to throw out? Okay? Sometimes God wrote to a specific person. Or spoke to a specific, a specific person. Sometimes he, he spoke to a whole nation. The Israelites, for example. And he gave the Israelites commands. But he didn't give them to us. He didn't give them to the church. And so it was proper and right for the Jews to follow it. But it would not be proper and right for, for the church to follow certain things. And it's clear in the scripture as you study your Bible what is what. Who are we speaking to? And so you need to be very careful in your study of the scripture that you do not impose upon yourself and impose upon other people something that was not ever written to you. Now, you can learn from it, okay? And the Scripture is clear about that, that all Scripture is written for our instruction. We can get something out of it. There's some application that we can gain from this, but it may not have been written to us, okay? Um, let me give you just a, a, a funny illustration of this here, Okay? I want everybody to turn to Genesis chapter 6, verse 14. You're reading in your Bible study one morning in your quiet time, and you finished verse 13 the day before, and you start by reading this verse 14 this morning. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and covered inside and outside with pitch. And you close your Bible. What is your practical application going to be that day in light of that verse? How are you going to apply that verse to your life? Well, he says, go. And it is God, if you look at the context, it is God who is speaking. Is he not? Okay. So God commanded it. You're on very solid ground. In fact, we even say that when it comes to application. Look for commands of God and follow them. There's one. Are you going to follow it and go out to Home Depot and buy some gopher wood and start building an ark in your backyard? You could. Would you be following the, the word of God the way he wants you to? No, you wouldn't be. Okay? You'd be making a horrible mistake. Why? Because that verse was not written to you. Who was it written to? Okay, it says that in a verse before that. So important to see verses in context both the immediate context and the larger context okay and yet is there any application you can get from this verse apart from building an ark <laughs> okay there might be yeah obedience to god okay there's there's one faith in god he had never built an ark before he didn't know what rain was it never rained before on earth and he said god told me to do it and i'm going to instantly obey and he did and it took him hundreds of years. 
Yeah, well, th- those are some applications you can gain from the passage that, you know, no matter what it cost him as far as mockery and, and, and uh, you know, people hating him and, mo- and laughing at him and everything else, he went ahead and obeyed God anyway. Okay, all of those are good applications. But if you start building an ark, the elders are going to come visit you, okay? <laughs> so be very careful. To whom does the verse apply? All right, number four. In what dispensation or stewardship does this verse apply? Um, we've gone over this before. Some of you may not be familiar with this, but God has acted in history in various ways to, to various, at various times, and he has tested mankind under different conditions. A simple example of this would be in the Garden of Eden. God started off the human race with two people, Adam and Eve. They were in innocence. That's what we call it, innocence. They had not sinned. And so God placed two human beings in a, in a perfect environment. I always go back to that because so many people today say, well, if only I lived somewhere else. If only I wasn't in this household. If only I didn't have them as parents. If only this and if only that, I would be okay. I don't think so. Adam and Eve were in a perfect environment. I, I've told the story before, but Tom and I went out one time. He, I, I went on a, a ride-along with Tom one day. And he picked up a guy that had a, a warrant out for his arrest because he had taken his car and tried to run over his ex-wife's new boyfriend. Okay, it was kind of a complicated story. And on the way home, I mean, on the way to the police station, I, I asked him some questions and I said, have you ever had any spiritual you know, input in your life? Oh, yeah, I'm a believer. Oh. I just about shrunk you know, in the car. I'm a, I said, you're a believer? He says, yeah. Yeah, I go to church. I do this, I do that. I, I go, okay, okay. I said, can I ask you a question? Why are you being arrested? He says, well, because I, you know, tried to hit my ex-wife's new boyfriend's car. I said, was he in it? Yeah. I said, were you trying to kill him? Yeah. <laughs> and you're a believer? Yeah. Like, <laughs> and I said, wow. He says, and then he changed the subject just like that. He says, man, I got to get out of this Bay Area. He said, it's just so crazy here. <clears throat> I said, he says, uh, I, I got to get out of here. He says, I, I got to go up to Sacramento and live up in Sacramento. He says, just got to get away from all the, 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 the evil here. And I'm like, what? <laughs> An attempted murder saying that his problem is the Bay Area environment? Excuse me, and I said, and I said to him, I said, you know, if you go to Sacramento, you're going to take you with you. You know, uh, we didn't get very far in the conversation. But the point is that God dealt with Adam and Eve in a perfect environment. There was no sin. There were no parents. There was no law. There was one rule, and that's it. One rule. Don't eat of that one tree. Everything else, go at it. Just enjoy it. Enjoy all of creation. Just stay away from that one tree. That's it. Don't eat the fruit of that one tree. How hard could that be? And yet we failed. What Adam did, I would have done. What Adam and Eve did, you would have done. And God tested mankind under that light, and we failed. We sinned. And God tested mankind under several different ways. Under law. 
Did the Jews succeed under the law? No, they did not. We are now in the age of grace, where God is just pouring out his favor on people throughout, throughout the world. And he's saying, all you have to do is repent of your sin and trust Jesus Christ alone for your salvation, and your sins will be wiped away, clean, and you'll be cleansed, forgiven, and in a right relationship with God. Are people coming by the millions? No, they're not. Mankind is so stubborn, and they're saying, well, yeah, okay, what you did on the cross was fine, but I, I'm going to work my way to heaven. I'm going to get there my own way. You just watch. Okay? Mankind has failed again, even under grace. But that's the age that we're in. But one of the things that we have to understand in the study of the Scripture is that God speaks to people under those different dispensations or those different administrations in a different way. And we have to be careful that we don't superimpose on believers something that he is saying to, to, to people under a different dispensation. Okay, very quickly, there are some things that we need to look for as we study the, the Scripture. We want to look for geographical, historical, and cultural clues. So just as an example, a geographical clue. When you read in the Scripture that they are somewhere up here in the north and they went up to Jerusalem, you're going, wait a minute. Here's how, I'm from Canada, okay? And the way we talk all the time is, because we're up here, you know, we're, we're above the United States. <laughs> and so we always say, we're going down to the United States, because that's south. You go down to Mexico. You go down to Central America or down to South America, because everything is measured by who's on the top, and that's Canada. <laughs> So that's what I'm used to. But I come to the Bible, and I'm reading about somebody who's up north. And it says they're going up to Jerusalem, and it's down. And I'm going, wait a minute. So you have to understand the, the uh, geography there. Okay, Jerusalem is up in what sense? Thank you, altitude. That's what it is. That's how much of the Scripture is. When they go up to Jerusalem even though they're up higher uh, ge geographically, it's going up in altitude. That's what it is. Okay, So just know that as you study the Scripture. Historical clues. Um, that's why we're doing the study the way we're doing it. We're seeing history unfold, and then we're going to the epistles to see those epistles in, the his in, in history. Pay attention to things like, well, culture. You've got to talk about culture. Um, many of the things in the Bible are written dealing with the culture of that time. Don't superimpose U.S. culture into the Bible. It didn't exist, okay? The U.S. wasn't there then, and, it, and, and you can't um, superimpose it into the Bible. So you have to know a little bit about the culture of the Bible as well. Pay attention to things like nouns and pronouns, all those things that we went to sleep about in, the, uh, in grammar school. And then finally, we want to talk about application. What is application? And I want, to be, I want to be careful about this. Some of you go through kind of a list of questions when you're doing your quiet time. Is there a promise to keep? Is there a sin to confess? Is there this and that and the other thing? And that's good. That's fine. 
One of the things that I think most people find is that when they do that on a daily basis, they become overloaded with all these, this list of things that they've got to now do. And you know, I think it'd be better if you just took one thing and you just applied it until you nailed it. <laughs> you know? Now, there may be things you can gain every single day, but to me, I, I think so many Christians become more and more and more burdened by that than, than they would if they just simply took one thing and just ran with it and just said, you know what? That's an area in my life that I really see the Lord is speaking to me about, and I'm going to nail it. I'm going to just work on that and really, really nail it. All right, we're going to end. We're going to skip the last hymn because we're late again. But um, <clears throat> let me just ask you to do that. And then starting next week, you guys should be so prepared for the book of James. And we're going to go through as a test run the first book in, in uh, a blaze of fire next week. And we're going to try and do the whole book of James in one session. Okay? So if you come prepared, you're going to make my job easy. All right? Let's give thanks to the Lord. Lord, as we come before you today, we thank you so much that you have taken the pains to speak to us through your word. We thank you for the way you have preserved your word through the centuries. We thank you that you have given it to us in our own language and the own ability to understand. We just pray, Lord, as we study your word this week, that you would open the eyes of our understanding, that we might behold wondrous things from out of your book. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.